Hello and welcome once again to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers, located on the web at wideteams.com and on Twitter at Wide Teams. This is episode 56. I am your host, Avdi Grimm. And before we get into it, I just want to say that this episode of the Wide Teams Podcast is made possible by generous support from Argyle, offering professional services with a niche focus on QA strategy and automated web testing. You can find out more about Argyle at A-R-R-G-Y-L-E dot com. My guest today is a freelance software developer and developer mentor, a longtime remote worker, and a good friend of mine. Evan Light, thank you so much for joining. Glad to be here. So, Evan, um, why don't we start out with just uh, like some of your your history with remote work and how you, you came to be working from home. Okay. Um, well... I'm more open with this, I guess, than a lot of other people, but really I got into it because my wife's, wife's health is very bad. She has Huntington's disease and she's only, she only gets worse. There's no cure for it. So it was about five years ago, uh, maybe six years ago. I told a boss of mine, look, my wife's getting worse. I'm concerned about leaving her at home by herself. I would really like to start working from home. And he was passive aggressively supportive. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I did that for a little bit until the passive, pass, the passive aggressiveness got to be a bit much, at which point, well, a lot of other things happened. Um, and I, I actually, I have a whole talk online um, that I've been giving at, at conferences where I talk all about this. Maybe we should just link to that and I don't have to go on about it here. But um, the point is I realized I needed to be around the house more for my wife just in case. So I did everything I could to start working from home. So eventually what that meant was I, I quit working as a government contractor because they usually want you to work in um, secure government-controlled spaces. That doesn't work very well when you want to work from home. So right. then I worked I worked remotely for a startup in San Francisco for about a year, and when they started to the tank, then uh, I went freelance because, well, I could have gone and worked for another startup, but I figured, well, why wait? <laughs> right. So how is that how is that adjustment for you? I mean, was it an easy adjustment, or you know, what was that process like? Working at home actually has never been hard for me. I did it a little bit way back in 99 uh, for one company I worked with. They let me work a, a few days at home. And uh, for some reason, I I guess a lot of people I talk to have trouble focusing at home. For me, it actually let me to focus more because I didn't have people disrupting flow on a regular basis, didn't have anyone coming by knocking on my door asking questions. Uh, and so I liked that. And so when I started working full-time remote about four years ago, uh, we had relocated. I just run the first Ruby D camp. Everything was kind of crazy, but working remotely was pretty easy. I've actually found it to be a little more awkward and uncomfortable the longer I do it, and it was actually easy at first. Interesting. Why do you think that is? Partly, I suppose, because my, wife, my wife's health is getting worse, and that makes everything trickier. Actually, I take it back i think a lot of it is because of that um i have caregivers i hire during the day to look after her because otherwise my wife would distract me a lot she would ask she would interrupt and ask innocent enough questions but no flow mm-hmm. and so that would get really frustrating i would work outside the house sometimes and, and that would help but my best tools are at home i have a big honking imac a big honking cinema display next to it 
Um, and that's, and that lets me be more productive, I feel, than when I'm on an 11 inch uh, MacBook Air, although I do pretty well with that. <laughs> and, okay, so this is another one. Lately at home, I have two of my four cats who have been increasingly needy. <laughs> and, um, so, I, we, we don't know children, it would have been too complicated, but they're becoming increasingly demanding for attention. So one or both of them will jump up on my computer desk, and when one of them's on the desk, it's manageable. You know, either Shakespeare will lie between the keyboard and the screen, and right now, like right now he is, but he's sleeping, um, or Joy will lie behind the screen on a warm external hard drive. When they're both on the desk, they just start cuddling with each other and cleaning each other and generally getting between me and the screen so I can't see a damn thing. <laughs> Um, and this happens entirely too often, and so it gets kind of frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever thought so, of setting up a decoy computer? Uh, I've thought of various decoys. Um, I've had people say set up cat traps, meaning set up open boxes um, <laughs> around the room. I, I'd actually have a pillow that's on the floor next to one of the computers um, just so a cat would sleep down there. That doesn't work too often. Um, I have found that heaters work. My airport base station and the external hard drive, they're made of warm, so <laughs> so the cats like to lie on them. But when they want me, they don't care about the warm. They They want me. I've tried using iPad games to distract them. There's an iPad cat game. It's great. I've tried lasers. That works a little bit, too. I have a little laser robot literally sitting right next to me, and it just moves the laser around on a gimbal, reflecting off a mirror to get, keep the cats busy. But That's pretty all, amazing. All temporary. Hey, it's like 20 bucks online. Wow. It's not. A, when I say robot, it, it's a really dumb robot, but that's, right. that's what it is. It's a robot. I had no idea. i got to get one of those. Well, you, you don't have – wait, do you guys have cats? Yeah, we have we have three. We had four. Now we have three. Okay, um, I think you were dog people. Okay, I'm, uh, we I'm had glad. we had dogs too, but it's been a while since we had our last dog. Okay, uh, yeah, and I've noticed that the cats do seem to get needier as they get older. Well, the weird thing is this one. Well, Shakespeare's sixteen, so I kind of get it. Joy is three, <laughs> and she's yeah. So I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it'll just get worse. It, it seems to. So tell me a little bit about your your work process day to day that when you're not when you're not just trying to avoid the cats. <laughs> okay. Um well it, it varies a little bit. The past several months I've actually been doing a kind of late load, but ordinarily it's get up around nine or ten, because I tend to sleep I tend to go to bed late. And then just um stumble into the den, go ping whoever uh, my my larger client is. I usually try to maintain Two at a time, three is the, the kind of rare exception. Um, then I just remote pair with them. And for me, that's I have them SSH into my machine. I do a, a pull from the Git repo. I you know, bundle install, rake db migrate just to make sure I have all the latest and greatest. And then we're both in Vim and in the terminal together looking at the same code and discussing what we're doing. And um, that tends to be most of my day. Um, it's just a matter of whether I remember to take breaks or not. I, I have that problem whether I'm working remotely or not. I get too stuck in a problem and I don't stop often enough. So that's pretty cool. Um, you know, most of the freelancers that I've that I've talked to, you know, when they're working remotely for somebody, usually they're just kind of working on their own. But you you make a point of actually pairing with your clients. I do now. I started doing that about I guess maybe about a year and a half, two years ago. Um, I started doing it for one client and I realized it was so much fun. Maybe it was only a year ago. Time flies. I don't know. Um 
I just had so much fun with it that I decided I wanted to make that my typical practice. I felt mm-hmm. like I, I enjoy teaching, but I but I want to work on something that's going to be used. I want to work on production code, and um, I like the hands-on approach. I'm not much of a theoretical kind of guy. So it, it just kind of clicked for me. So that's the kind of work I tend to shoot for is working with clients where I get to pair remotely. Um, more recently, I, I took an apprentice on, and I'm actually locally pairing uh, just because I'm trying to create a Ruby community um, since I'm a Ruby developer. Um, here where we're mostly, I should say, I do other stuff. But here where I live, there there is no one who has my skill set, and it gets kind of lonely. So um, this fellow named Pat, um, I've known him for a about three years now, and I've been talking to him about, off and on about Ruby. Not, I guess I tried to sell him a little at first, but then not so much. But he would hear you – know, I'd talk to him about the latest stuff I was doing and you know where I was having fun, where I was miserable. And I think in the back of his head he was saying, yeah, cake PHP, meh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I one day he said, I'm, I'm going to do this for real. I want to do Ruby on Rails work. And I think a day or two later I came back to him and said, well, why don't we actually get you on some of my contracts and we'll just pair on it and I'll teach you. When we get to a point, when we get to a good point with you, then you can, then I'll try to get more work and we can work concurrently rather than side by side all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so you're working, uh, always in person, uh, like he comes with, to your office to with your, Pat, so far I, I've been working in person. Mm-hmm. Um, we might, I hadn't really thought about it, but we might start doing a remote sometime in the not too distant future. He, he's a really pretty savvy guy. Um, he's learning very fast. He's he's already fairly experienced with PHP and JavaScript. He's he's 29, so he's been around the block a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, he's he's boning up on his Ruby, his his Rails, and his OO, and that probably doesn't need him to be local for pairing. So yeah, we'll probably start doing remote pairing soon. Some of the time, maybe all the mm-hmm. well, I don't know about all the time. It's fun to pair locally sometimes. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, now, I don't really get to do it. Now you mentioned uh in the pre-call you mentioned uh remote mentoring. Now, uh is that just what you consider your regular consulting to be since you're you're pairing with your clients all the time or is is that something separate that you do? I guess I kind of do it in two forms. Um I have bigger clients, they're usually startups who have and they usually reach out to me because their code is kind of a mess and they want it to get cleaned up or in the rare occasion they reach out to me because they have something kind of wacky they want to do and they're not sure how to do it so they get me to do it. And those are fun too. And when they have a mess of code, I don't, I don't want to just go in and clean it up. I, I've done that before. So this is kind of where the pairing started for me. It was, um, serendipity. It was actually someone I think you referred to me as where I really got started on it. Sean Miller's his name. Right. And, uh, we paired remotely on a project of his for a while and we both had a lot more fun with it. Well, we both had a lot of fun with the pairing and he was miserable working on it by himself because the, the project that he was given as, as a contractor was kind of a mess. And um, so I, I enjoyed it, and I decided, well, this is really what I, what I want to be doing more of. And then I found other clients who were, were kind of interested in the same, so I've done more of that. Not exclusively, but um, a lot more of that. And then I also have um, – and, and that's more my, my bread and butter, what I tend to do most of the time. I get uh, people now and again who just want a few hours of my time here and there, maybe to just learn techniques or to work at a particularly hard problem. And um, those are fun too because you get to pop in and out. It sounds like kind of like what I hear you do when you when you are working with people remotely for a couple hours at a time. Right. Yeah, I think it's probably similar. Similar. So like I I do like two hour appointments with people that that either want some tutoring or or want some help with a, 
talking through a problem or something yeah. like that. Yeah, so that, that's kind of what I tend to do. And um, I'm sensitive to that a lot of these people are, are paying me out of their own personal money. They don't have a, any kind of company budget to work with. So I, I, I encourage them to queue up their questions, their thoughts, their hard problems. So that way we can sit down and try to nail them one by one as expeditiously as possible. And um, I end up working with the same people maybe once or twice. I mean, I guess maybe twice or so, maybe, or just once. Not that I've had any complaints. seems like all the takers have been happy. It's just I, I just want to get them in and out so that way they don't spend a ton of money on me. Right, right, yeah. Which I mean, might it's, sound a little crazy for a business, but I want them to get ensure that they get their value. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I mean, that's definitely um, the way I try to approach it as well. So um, you, you mentioned... Let's see. You're you're pairing a lot of your day. Uh, how long do you do that as a, at a stretch? Well, we take breaks. Um, I'll say now I've started Pomodoroing. Um, Pomodoro technique. I don't know if it's come up in your podcast before or not. Go ahead. Um, you can go ahead and, and okay. go over but the high high the, highlights of it again. Yeah, the, the high high level is that you have a timer that that go that. That has, you go at 25 minutes at a pop, and then you stop for five minutes, and then you rinse and repeat three times, and then I think on the fourth one, you're supposed to break for 15 minutes. I tend to find that I tend to get about three Pomodoros and then naturally end up at a break point anyway, so then take a slightly longer break and, and then dive back in. On longer days, I've done pretty much, I, I guess almost eight-hour days, started about 10, worked till about 6.30, short break in the middle. I don't usually take a lot of time for lunch. I don't usually want to. And um, more recently, since I've been kind of slacking over the summer intentionally, I've been working more like four-hour days with the occasional longer one. But pretty much Pomodoroing and pairing the whole time. Hmm. Okay. Occasionally, I like to work on, on things by myself, but I really do enjoy the pairing. So. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've also worked um, with some larger, um, or slightly larger anyway, distributed teams, right? Well, yeah, there was that one that you were on, and <laughs> um, yeah, let's see, there was that, and I've worked remotely for other clients. I've had, I guess, I've had, and you were involved in a startup once, right? Yes, and oh yeah, that was very distributed. Uh, well, actually, twice, but only once recently. Um, the other one doesn't count. That was '99, and um, they had people in India, they had people in, in China, they had all the executives in the States, and then they had me in the States. So that was one of the reasons when they started falling apart. I was one of the first people to go because I was the most expensive who wasn't an executive by far. Mm. Um, but they weren't – I'd say they were they were sort of – they were quasi-distributed. They had nodes of people because in Hong Kong they had a team that was co-located most of the time. In India they had a team that was co-located most of the time. Um, all the execs were spread out, though, and and I was pretty far from everyone. Okay. And that, that got a little – well, communication got really tricky. I, I found that having um, a mix of co-load and remote teams tends not to work very well because the co-load teams have all kinds of out-of-band communication that um, the remote people don't get to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just kind of curious if you know those experiences left you with any partic- any insights about distributed teams. Well, let's see. They, it varies. Um, I found, I guess, what I found with distributed teams is the people who poop, the people who perform well are often not the people you expect are going to perform well, um, and the people who don't perform as well are often not the people you are ex- often people you would expect to perform well. I, I was just kind of surprised by that. Some people, I guess, uh, in working at home, had more trouble focusing than they expected. Some people, uh, and sh- I. 
maybe need that um, that uh, micromanage that, impl- that implied micromanagement of being co-located, mm-hmm. you know, where there's that added pressure of I have other people looking over my shoulder at least at a distance. And then there were some people who just seemed to have shipping in the blood, if you will, where they just they'll get it done. Right. It just wasn't who you'd expect. So that was surprising and interesting for me. That was a lesson learned. For me, the result is I try not to subcontract work because I don't like those surprises. Right. Because <laughs> you know I, I I know someone I I subcontract some work to them and I find that you know, okay you're you're a really good programmer you don't work as well as I thought you would remotely though or mm-hmm. you or you're not a great programmer but damn it you really deliver I I don't like being surprised I want to know so remote pairing with people will tell you whether they're competent but it doesn't tell you whether they ship mm-hmm. it doesn't tell you what about their work ethic so. And work ethic in the office, what I'm saying, tends to be very different than, than work ethic at home for a lot of people. I, I don't, uh, I guess I, it makes some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't tend to suffer it quite as much, I feel, um, but I might be wrong too. I, I guess that would probably be the biggest insight. Okay. It was a pain point, but it was also a surprise point in good ways too. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I remember, as you mentioned, we, uh, uh, we worked together, uh, you, you ran, a um, kind of a, a distributed team of freelancers, you could say. I, I guess kind of a freelance collective. Would that be fair? Yeah, it, it kind of was a freelance collective. Um, we basically had one or two people who were bringing in the work, and then everyone else was executing on it. And, and um, we were trying to have everyone interact with the client, and that kind of worked and kind of didn't sometimes. Right. I remember you you um, you were a big, a big proponent of uh, retrospectives. Um, the regular agile re- retrospect <laughs> retrospectives is a word that I have trouble saying. You can saying. say it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> can, uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, you know, what that that practice is and, and what, what the value of it was for you. Sure. Um, and I should also add, it's not a practice I engage in as often as I should anymore. I do it some with with Pat, my apprentice. I've realized I haven't been doing it much with my clients, and I don't know why. It just hasn't occurred to me as much. So I'm. Maybe because I kind of – anyway, I'll, I'll define the practice first. Um, essentially, it's uh, every iteration. You define what your iteration length is. Um, at the beginning, you have your iteration planning meeting. At the end, you have your retrospective to kind of wrap up the iteration. And it's essentially to describe what you did, what things went well, what made people happy, what things didn't go well, what things made people unhappy. And to try to discuss it in a – I guess I want to say it feels very ridiculously PC, judgment-free kind of environment. Um, <laughs> but um, that's very much what we tried to do, and it seemed to work pretty well. Um, sometimes it'll get a, it, it gets a little painful, when, but the truth often can be. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just – well, I, I encountered that this morning. I guess when you could say I had my own retrospective in, in a journal, um, sometimes the truth hurts. <laughs> so – but that doesn't mean we have to, we shy away from it. Once you recognize it, you need to do something about it. Recognizing it's often the problem. Um, that's what I just found this morning for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing retrospectives for Ruby Decamp, which is a um, kind of hard to describe sort of unconference that I run annually that that you've been attending forever, um, which is a good thing. And um, but as I said, I oddly haven't thought to do it with my clients. Maybe it's because I feel like I'm in, in touch with them emotionally because I tend to communicate with them fairly frequently. But I don't feel like that's a fair assumption. So I probably should be doing retrospectives with them. So lesson learned on my part, just by re- by reflecting on that here. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's. I mean, I I find myself uh, a little scared to do stuff like that. I mean, yeah, uh, always. I'm always I, a little scared when I do it. You know, and I guess I I feel like you know I'm I'm so. I'm so tired from from all the effort that I put out, you know, on various projects already. Yeah, you know, I'm afraid that somebody's going to say I'm not doing enough. Yeah, um, I, I and as the guy who was running the team at the time for that that freelancing collective, um, I was always afraid of hearing something similar. Well, you know, I'm unhappy because of something Evans doing or Evans not doing, and and there was some of that and you know as i said truth hurts but you need to hear it it is the guy who was responsible for the 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 technical work getting done i felt responsible for the well-being of the team too right because to me that's kind of part and parcel and so if people were unhappy to me that was even if they weren't saying it to me that was evan you're not doing something right but if we don't hear these things we can't fix them and yeah. So we just go about our merry way doing the wrong thing. And so that's why reflection is pretty important. As someone who, if it's not obvious from my talking on the podcast, is fairly extroverted, reflection doesn't necessarily come naturally. So um, I keep mentioning having written in a journal this morning, but it was really eye-opening for me in um, kind of painful ways. But then again, that's at least for me how I often learn is uh, – Education, education through suffering, or as I sometimes kiddingly call it, frustration-driven development. Right. That's a that's actually a talk you've been giving, right? That that's that's the talk I kind of mentioned earlier when I alluded to uh, my wife's health. I talk about that and and some other things that that have very much shaped my life. And again, not to go into it at length, I, I do mm-hmm. it basically because I'm afraid that there, or I'm concerned, not afraid, that there are other people in the audience who were in a place I was maybe four or five years ago, um, feeling down on their luck and. Not, and not realizing that it's the perfect time to try something because what do you have to lose? That's that's actually, I mean, that's a really profound point right there. Um, I almost wish I could. I don't. I don't know what there is to say, but I almost wish I could ask you to just kind of expand on that a little bit because that's a big deal. Okay. Well, let's see. The first thing that comes to mind is is a history. I guess it's the part that I keep talking about in the conference. But for me, it was a perfect storm of. I guess it was in maybe late 07. Of there was, uh, I was in Canada at a conference that you were at actually. Um, I think I, that might have been the first time I met you actually, yeah, very, very yeah. briefly. Ruby Fringe. Um, at Ruby Fringe. And, uh, Damien Katz, if you remember that talk, Damien Katz, who wrote CouchDB, um, talked about how he had, he basically had the, the country song played in reverse is what I, I kiddingly call it and I describe my own life that way to some extent where he lost the job, he lost the house and he felt like a total loser. But he had this couch DB thing that he really enjoyed and really wanted to work on. And he and his wife decided together, well, if that's what you like doing, we'll keep doing it. And after a little bit, IBM came along and said, Hey, we'll pay you to work on what you love. He said, mm-hmm. okay. And then next thing you know, he's the CTO of at least one company that I think he founded. And sounds like he's doing quite well. Yeah. So there was that talk, which to uh, the whole time I was kind of on the edge of my seat because I felt like he was describing my life at the time because 2007 was not a great time in my life. That was only just after I'd somewhat started to accept my wife's health. Um, I was kind of in various stages of extreme grieving and denial for two years. Mm. Um, and um, But I found out while I was on the trip that my wife was about to lose her health insurance. Mm. And I'm not sure how profane I'm allowed to get in this podcast, but I, was, I almost did there. Um, it was, um, it was, that was a shock to the system, to say the least. And um, mm. my dad, who 
broke the news to me because my dad had helped carry me, carry both those for those two years that I was a kind of a wreck. He didn't break the news to me gently. He wasn't trying to be mean or painful, but it, that hurt a lot. And then add to that, I was so fed up with working for the government and I'd had a few different startups that I, I, where I just talked to people I'd met at conferences. I'd been to a lot of conferences over the past, that year where I'd met a lot of really interesting people. And, um, I was determined to do Ruby and the government wouldn't let me and they were making it degrees of difficult. I was working on a project with an astronaut architect. We were living next door to my parents after my dad had just given me a hard time about the insurance thing. We'd been living next door to my parents who were trying extra hard to be helpful because of my wife's health. And they were trying so extra hard that it was making me feel like a five-year-old. There were all these different things that were driving me nuts, mm-hmm. almost literally. I mean, there was a time when I was having so many nightmares I had that uh, I had actually went on antidepressants just because I had to make the nightmares stop because I couldn't sleep. Mm. And... So um, another friend of mine uh, named Jim Meyer out in San Francisco, he had always told me that um, that he used the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People um, by Stephen Covey is kind of his touchstone. Um, that he would go back to it every now and then and, and look and go through it a little bit at a time for insight. I'd read it a long time ago on my dad's recommendation. Maybe I was in high school even, um, but I cracked it open again. It was reading through it, and I don't remember what passage. But there was some passage in there. I even remember – it's one of those moments where you remember where you are and even how you were positioned at the time because it just kind of burned into my memory. I was sitting in the living room of our house in Vienna, Virginia in this this ridiculously comfy chair we still have, fortunately, reading the book, facing toward the fireplace. And I read it, and suddenly it hit me. Quit the job. Take the startup job. Well, actually, this take the startup job wasn't wasn't quite. No, it wasn't to quit the job. The, the the thought though was we moved to near Kim's mother, mm-hmm. and everything after that moment. It it was something to the extent of I needed to do something for her because I was realizing. I guess I was realizing this was too much about me, 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 and me, and how her health was affecting me. We need to move near her mom. That would be good for her. And mm-hmm. then it was like the clouds parted. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, and everything just made sense. We moved near her mom. I quit working for the government. I can take, I find a good startup job that, I, or a company I, that I think will be interesting to work for. We take a pay cut, but we live someplace cheaper. The house will be cheaper. Um, we're not living next to my folks. We don't live too close to her mom. We live two blocks away. Turns out that's too close. Um, <laughs> but the, the net, and then as we did that, as we, as I executed on all of that and ran Ruby Decamp for the first time, that's also pretty much the exact week in 2008 the economy tanked. Mm. So I knew as we were moving, I was going to get laid off. It was just a matter of when. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had already prepared for it. We had some money in the bank from when I was an overpaid government contractor. Um, I took basically a 50% pay cut to do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I didn't care. I was still, I was working really hard, but I was having fun. And um, so I just kept doing that, and then the startup started to tank, and they laid me off, and I wasn't entirely surprised. But then I had a couple of months of, well, I'm not really earning anything. What the heck am I going to do with myself? Well, I wrote an iPad app because I had never written an iOS app. I just wanted to do it. Um, I played with writing a small app for Android. I played with writing a small app for WebOS. I'm not sure it was all in that summer, but it was about that time. And um, I decided, well, I'd... Wanted to go freelance before. I'd been in a contractor, but working through a service before. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I know people who I'd met at Ruby D Camp who would express some interest in working with me. Well, why don't I pull on all those leads and see what happens? And next thing I knew, I was working with this small, this small freelance collective that had, was only just becoming a collective. In the way I often do, when I saw things that were wrong, I tried to fix them. And next thing I know, I was co-running it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, well, the rest of that's kind of history. The, the, the short version that I try to tell people is do what you love and, it pay, and share it with other people and it pays you back. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's key is, you know, share it with other people. Yeah. Because if you, this, this came, come from, came from, um, Seth Godin. This came from Chad Fowler's, now it's the passionate programmer. It used to be my job went to India. Um, he was kind of talking about that. I read, at least I read that after the first Ruby D camp. Um, I read Lynchpin, which is where I, I got a little bit of this philosophy from too. After I think we were about the time you and I started working together. Mm-hmm. So I guess that was maybe like two, two and a half years ago. And um, they both kind of said the same thing. It was the, the share it. And you share it because people don't – well, in one hand, people don't even know you exist if you don't share it. Right. And if you share it, then sharing it implies that you have more to, sh- that you have more to give. And, well, that's one of the reasons we tend to share because we want something for ourselves too. And so these are all basically breadcrumbs that you're leaving, which are a trail right back to you for getting more work. Um, so frankly, in, in a nutshell, that's, that's marketing, except just not evil, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I got work that way. And I'm still doing what I like to do. I mean, I, it comes and goes how much I like to do it, but I enjoy it a lot more than working for the government. And, um, now I, I have the potential to earn a lot more than I did working for the government, but I actually choose to work less instead. Mm-hmm. I work fewer hours, um, so that way I can try to stay sane try to get healthier. Right, right. So, so um, I, I know where the sound might be in that, but because that, that's the, the long version. I think that's something that a lot of people could use to hear. So I think it's it's great that, that you're able to, sh- to share that experience. And, you know, I was going to ask you something I like to ask, which is how people can, who are, are wanting to make a switch like that, you know, to, to sort of more working on their own terms, uh, can get started. But I think you you pretty much just laid it out. Um, kind of. Um, I, I also I do the Ruby Freelancers podcast where we talk about this. That's true. We talk about this by degrees. Um, and another, it's kind of a side business only because it's something I, I like helping people figure out what to do with their careers. Um, I, I'm not an HR person, but sometimes I feel like I am. Or, or you know, I'm not an HR person, but when I am, um, in any <laughs> event. So I, I've had friends who I've, I've counseled on this sort of thing in the past because I see them on the fence and it seems like they're suffering while they're they're procrastinating making a decision. And uh, so I try to I often would try to help them do that. And then I quickly realized that this was occupying more and more of my time. And then I was seeing people start to make a lot of money following my advice. So I realized maybe I should at least get my hourly rate for doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and that. And that's actually probably kind of a modest approach because I'm probably, for most of these people, I tend to find out I'm adding more value to my hourly rate by far. Mm-hmm. I could probably be charging quite a bit more, but these days I only, I just, um, not, I'm not saying, hey, it's a deal, come talk to me, but I just charge my hourly rate and, and I talk through, um, what people, with people with, what their issues are, what their concerns are. And try to help them figure out what's right for them. Often it's it's a, do, should I become a freelancer or not? And what specifically should I be concerned with? What specifically should I do? Um, because these are my concerns. These are my issues. And um, I've helped a lot of people that way, it seems. Um, one of my 
favorites, I guess, is a, a guy I just talked to idly at Windy City Rails. We, it was after hours, it was over beers, and it was only a few minutes, so it, there was no charge for this one. But he, he told me he doubled his rate. And mm-hmm. that, well, uh, that made me feel pretty proud. On the other hand, I want to help people who aren't in such a bad way. But that goes to more philosophical things. Hmm. Well, um, that's actually kind of a good lead-in uh, to saying, where can people find out more about you and uh, your services and your many projects uh, online? Okay, well, I let's see. I have my blog that I don't blog on often enough, which is evan.tiggerpalace. Yes, Tigger, like the cat, Winnie the Pooh. evan.tiggerpalace.com. Um, I have my business website, which is woefully out of date because I'm usually busy enough that I don't really have time to update it. So uh, I, I feel you, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think I updated it. Yeah, I updated it during my last lull in business. And so Mine's the same I, picture of a dirigible it's been for like three years. So. Yeah. So it was. <laughs> so for me, it was when I wrote that iPad app. After I wrote the iPad app, I I, I put it up on the website. I put up um, a, a former client. I think it was from where we were working at that collective on the website. This was okay. So this was three years ago. This was right before or right as I was really starting to go freelance myself. Um, I mean, truly on my own, maybe two, three years ago, I don't know. Um, and I haven't updated it since because I've just been too busy. So I could put a ton of clients up there, but too busy. Yeah. Um, or it's either too busy or too tired, right, which to me is also too busy. If you don't have the energy to do it, then you shouldn't be doing it. That That's kind of a David Allen getting things done-ism. Save it for when you have the energy. When I have the energy, I'm usually working. Um right. So there's that. There's a tripledogdare.net. I call my business Triple Dog Dare out of a Christmas, the, a Christmas story, which is um, one movie my wife and I can agree on. We both love to death. And when I thought about going into business, there's that anxiety of, oh my goodness, there's no net anymore. So I Triple Dog Dare you is kind of how I saw it in mm-hmm. my mind. And it has the, um, the serendipitous acronym of TDD, which works really well for test-driven development. Um, someone else had to point it out to me. I'm not smart enough to realize <laughs> that. Um, and um, if you want to reach me, you can just email me at hello at tripledogdare.net um, or evan at tripledogdare.net. Or I think you could just at, at, at butthead at tripledogdare.net <laughs> would probably work too um, and, and watch it. Maybe I'll actually get an email at that address now. Mm-hmm. But um, I think everything works. Just Evan's the, Evan and hello are the, the specific ones that are set up. And uh, let's see, you're on Twitter? I'm a Twitter problem with a person, yes. <laughs> I, I, I tweet entirely too much. At- um, and oh yeah, so I'm Elight on Twitter. E-L-I-G-H-T. And then uh, Ruby Decamp. Yeah, and right. Ruby, uh, Ruby Decamp, which I run annually. It's uh, Ruby Decamp. It's Ruby D C A M P dot org. Yes, the name is is supposed to confuse you. Uh, <laughs> not many people ask about that, but it really was designed to confuse people, make them pause. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we just had that this year, so next year is probably late September, early October, two thousand thirteen. Assuming the world's still here, it is twenty twelve. All right. Well, Evan, thank you so much for uh, sharing your experiences. Uh, thanks for letting me babble about them for a bit. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our show, and I do hope you've enjoyed it. To subscribe to the show if you haven't already, or to check out more interviews and articles about remote work, go to wideteams.com. You can also find the show in the iTunes Music Store, where re- reviews are always very welcome. The Wide Teams podcast is distributed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. Our music is by Giles Boquette. Until next week, this is Avdi Grimm, signing off.
Wow, 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 wow,